Wait, I need to defrost Almon before the goal scorer gets mad at me. Another WSL week and another disappointing result from Chelsea. Obviously, looking from another perspective. We won. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Another perspective, so, oh. except from a Chelsea perspective. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. Um, this is the first of two episodes coming out this week. You're welcome. Um, the next one finally being another Champions League episode, which obviously hasn't been done in ages now. Um, but this time next is it next week two weeks next week next week it's champions league week finally um obviously the first match week is the 22nd on the tuesday where we get to see a couple of games and wednesday another couple of games <laughs> so that's gonna be fun but we'll we won't talk about that this episode we'll save it for tomorrow quite literally is when we're recording and we'll release it sometime later in the week but I'm your host, Alexi Baceta, and I'm with Abdul Abdullah and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Uh, how are you two, Abdullah? Yeah, doing well. Um, recovered from a minor illness, so that's always good post-holiday. But yeah, all good, ready to go. Busy week of recording, so let's, let's get it let's get going. Jesse? Yeah, good. Abdullah and I have just been enjoying uh, Alex tell us all about her red card from the weekend, so... You know, a great way to uh, start. to start off a, a pre a pre podcast chat. You know, and it's a it's a good way to warm up. I can we can put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Get get some initial football discussion exactly. done, ready to go before we hit the WSL. Itself, which is the sideline football. We all know that this is this is nothing. Alex's football. It was. Is top you know tier. what? Honestly, yesterday it was it was almost like a. It was almost kind of like a Leicester City versus Chelsea kind of aspect where one team was clearly superior um, and we kind of just parked the bus in a very organized manner, which really surprised me. And we still managed. The game ended 3-2. Um, I got sent off with 30 seconds left on the clock. So that was very logical. Um, so that was great. Um, you know, what? I just I, I channeled my inner Katie McCabe. But that, that, that's all I did, really. You know, I'm. If I get compared to Katie McCabe, so be it. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm the Katie McCabe in my group. I'll take it. I'm playing full. I'm playing fullback now, so quite literally, I'm Katie McCabe. That's fair. You know what? That's how I'm. I'm calling myself that from now on. Um, but let's get to the sideline football, as these two say. Um, no relatively surprising results this weekend for the most part, but it was harder for some than others, to say the least. Uh, Vivian Miedema Arsenal keep thriving with the 3-0 win over Brighton. Um, I'm very happy about that. Uh, Jesse isn't, though. Uh, and Sam Kerr saves the day with a 90-second winner against Aston Villa. My heart shattered when I saw that that last kind of result. I think I saw the ghost celebration before I saw the score. Um, so that was quite interesting. I feel like half my timeline was like, yes, and half my timeline was like, no. Yeah, pretty much. I was, I think I went in, I got I actually got 
I was on my phone right before I went off for my kickoff, checking all the scores, and I got called out um, by my coach because I was on my phone. Oh, my God. You did not have a good weekend, did you, Alex? <laughs> you know what? I just I enjoyed myself. I had some cheeky, some little cheeky things. Um, I had a shot on goal, actually, that went. It wasn't terrible, but obviously it wasn't the greatest because it didn't go in. But um, yeah, anyway, moving on. Caroline Weir scored an ugly goal, which isn't usual, um, but she sealed City's 1-0 win over Tottenham, sadly again. And Onabatia was robbed of a golazo, um, a freaking great shot. Um, but Man United still beat Reading 3-1. We'll get into it later. Um, and Everton marginally beat Leicester City 3-2 after being 2-2 at halftime. That's definitely a big, interesting one that we're unfortunately not going to get into a lot of detail about, but we definitely will talk about it. And finally, West Ham managed a 1-0 win over bottom of the table, Birmingham. Um, so let's let's go in, in order, I guess, in terms of, because obviously Chelsea played first and Arsenal and the whole title league, you know, the race and blah, 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 blah. Enough of that stuff. Um, but left it late, of course, 92nd minute. Sam Kerr got the job done in the end with what could be a, Crucial goal for the title race, of course. Um, and we do have to talk about the celebration, obviously. It was an exit celebration. Um, you know, shirt off, helicopter thing going on with the shirt. Uh, Emma Hayes getting involved. And the best part was obviously Emma Hayes and Aerith Comfort. And I would I would just love to know what was happening because Aerith Comfort is, does not look like she's involved in the celebration. She just looks like she's kind of trying to push Emma Hayes away. Like, I have no idea how this happened. Or like, at what second this photo was taken. Uh, but Jesse, do you want to talk us through your emotions and your thoughts throughout the match? Yeah, it was a bit of a frustrating match, to be honest. Um, it felt like a game which I've seen Chelsea play quite a few times this season, um, whereby there was lots of possession, there were good moments, but there was just no real killer instinct. Uh, there was no Penila Hada or Frank Kirby, which I think you could definitely feel like was impacting, but but <laughs> that Chelsea were still playing Sam Kerr, Beth England, and Guru Wright as, as a front three, which really isn't isn't the end of the world as attacking lineups go. But it just felt like things weren't going to go Chelsea's way at all. I think you know Sam Kerr scored a goal which looked maybe narrowly offside. I think it was fairly given, but it was pretty tight. Um, Beth England headed over the bar when she should 100% have scored. And I know lots of people came out of it saying Hannah Hampton had a good game. And I think that's true in that Hannah Hampton didn't like flap a ball into her goal like she sometimes is wont to do. But I don't think Chelsea really like forced that much amazing stuff out of her. Like there are a lot of moments where, you know, Sophie Ingle shot right at her, Guru Wrighton shot right at her. Uh, Sam Kerr shot right at her. So, you know, like they, it felt like they were all pretty standard saves to make. Um, but then obviously, cometh the hour, cometh the woman, um, Zakira Musevich. Just actually, also, I was re watching this goal back today. And of course, the other person who is really involved is Millie Bright, who Emma Hayes stuck up top again. And it's her going for the ball that puts all the Villa players off, which allows it to bounce through to Sam Kerr. And uh, Sam Kerr had, had a couple of opportunities like this where the ball had come over the top and she just hadn't got quite got the bounce right. Um, but thankfully, in the 92nd minute, she did. Um, and she scored and King's Meadow went limbs, basically. Went limbs. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I do like Jesse mentioned it there a bit, but obviously an interesting lineup. And I think not interesting considering, you know, who Chelsea have available, but obviously not the usual um, Kerr, Harder, Kirby kind of trio, even, you know, Fleming and all that stuff. But it was obviously Kurt England, right in G Anderson, Drew Spence, you know, all these players that you don't really see together often. What did you think of this 11? Yeah, I mean... When I first saw the eleven, I was like, "Okay, uh, interesting um, to see kind of this this trio uh, up top." Because obviously, I think uh, I think one major thing was Emma reverted reverted back to the the three at the back, so we started seeing a three up front in in a way. And um, I don't think we've seen Sam Kerr, Beth England, and Wrighton play together as a, as a front three. So I thought that was really interesting. And uh, Drew Spence also surprised me. Um, Drew Spence also surprised me in uh, in that she she started in central midfield, and um, a, a, you know alongside and you you don't normally see that usually when she starts playing it's it's more about uh, it's more about how um, you know about the closing a game off and and kind of keeping it tight. And I didn't think you needed that in a game like this against uh, uh, against Aston Villa, um, but anyway, I mean that that change was obviously changed in uh, at halftime. Um, overall, I thought it was a was a bit of a strange lineup. It obviously didn't work for like 70, 80 minutes because Chelsea just kept hitting, almost like hitting a brick wall, playing the same way. And it was only until Millie Bright moved into a striker, into a striking position. Um, you know, Chelsea kind of, you know, brought on a, you know, brought on a couple more players and kind of threw the kitchen sink at Aston Villa with a chance to started really coming in. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was okay. I mean, I think Anderson playing at left back now is, is pretty much, a given. I think she's done really well playing in the back four as a left back um, and didn't actually do too badly in this as a left wing back. I think the form and momentum of playing regularly and, and getting some form back, I think has been good. Um, I don't know. I think Beth England is maybe suffering a little bit from inconsistent game time and that momentum and rhythm isn't there. So you're not really seeing the best of her that we saw about two years ago. But uh, I think today was all about uh, Sam Kerr and, and, and her willingness and, and drive to keep going and keep playing. And obviously she got the winner. Yeah, I think that's fair. It is interesting to see Yona Anderson kind of weave her way back into the starting eleven. Um, y- you could say that it's because Hayes doesn't really have many other options uh, to put into that position, but it is, you know, she is getting the tide, the this kind of the starting because there is kind of a few other players that you can move around. Um, but Jesse, looking at the other side, where did Aston Villa get their tactics right here? I think Villa were very good at being organized at not letting Chelsea players get space and especially not letting not making it easy for players like her to run in behind as I say there were a couple of occasions where she did get in and the ball just didn't quite quite drop for her but I think under Carla Ward generally we've seen Villa be pretty good at um holding out against top teams um for long periods of time you know seen them do it against uh Chelsea, because the, the Chelsea's win away was only a 1-0 win. We saw them do it against Arsenal until um, Arsenal scored like a million Galapsos and then they just like totally collapsed. So I think they've always been very organised under Ward um, or they've definitely had their moments of organisation. And I think just the addition of, of Jill Scott in midfield obviously just adds a massive touch of class. Um, you know, she she brings so much energy, but she's also a great reader of the game. She's incredibly experienced and... You know, I think when you're looking at a midfield like G and Spence or then G and Ingle, they're, you know, we've seen it kind of time and again, they're quite an easy midfield, not necessarily to unsettle, but you don't have to do much to suddenly like break up their play quite a lot. 
Um, and I think Aston Villa did that quite well. Um, and then also I do think like Alicia Lehman is a great outball player. She's not necessarily very good at what she does, like when she gets the ball in an attacking sense, but she is someone who's going to be able to dribble and make the run like and relieve that that pressure on you as well. So I just think those kind of three factors um, allowed Villa to, to suffocate Chelsea, basically. Yeah, it's definitely, I forgot Alicia Lehman was, was at Aston Villa, actually. Um, but it's just, it's interesting to see the names that Aston Villa have. And you know that they could be kind of what you said, like an organized team. Now it's just a matter of, are they going to take the next step? Or are they just going to continue to be kind of this lower table team that kind of just looks to get that defensive um, kind of tactical setup against the bigger teams? Who knows? We'll see. But Abdullah, it is. it seems to be getting closer to Chelsea dropping some points that we mentioned in the last episode. Did this, did this match more or less cement how possible or how likely that is to happen? To some extent, I think, yes. I mean, we've seen this kind of throughout the season where Chelsea have gotten to very, very late in a game and they've either either drawn the game or, they, or they've won the game just about. Um, you know, in some sense, and I'm, I'm just generalizing for a second here, but it almost feels like Chelsea either have an astonishing game winning by multiple goals or they have these really, really, really close games that really come down to the wire. And, you know, it's almost it almost feels like 50% of the games have become nil-nils and 50% of those games have become one-nils. I think we've really come a long way from a season ago or two seasons ago even um, where Chelsea were, it was more about how many are Chelsea going to score rather than now where are Chelsea going to score or not? Because it almost feels like any game that Chelsea go where they're the favourites to win, it almost feels like if the other team can frustrate them for 60, 70 minutes, it almost, it's starting to get to them. The panic starts settling in a little bit more and they need a moment of magic to get them out. Obviously this time it was a Zakir Musevic long ball, Millie Bright kind of doing her thing up front. And then, you know, Sam Kerr with the composure and, and patience to, to finish that opportunity. But um, I, I, you know, I think it is something that Chelsea are going to have to be more wary of, um, but it almost feels like, some one of these games, some team is going to do the same thing and they're going to either keep them out, keep them out of it and, and get a draw, or they may even just go and score from a set piece or something like that. So yeah, I, I think it, it could be, it could be possible, but I mean, let's not take it away. Chelsea still have the quality to be able to put these games away um, just as they did, just as they did yesterday. So it's really about, I think the onus will end up being on them. Can they break teams down and keep the composure themselves rather than other teams breaking them down? And Jesse, a similar question for you, but adding an extra layer. What do you think was Aston Villa and Chelsea's biggest takeaway from yesterday? I think Aston Villa's biggest takeaway will be that, the, you know, they went through a patch around Christmas whereby um, I think Carla Ward wasn't having like the best time. I think the club wasn't having the best time. There were factors and it just made them feel very disorganised on the pitch. They were losing quite, by quite heavy margins. So I think their biggest takeaway is, you know, they've had a number of close matches recently. The results haven't all gone their way, but I think, you know, to to go to a team like Chelsea, obviously it sucks to lose in the way that they've lost, um, but to kind of show that you, you do have that organisation, that defensive solidity to keep teams out, that's a great platform, but they still have very little going forward. And, you know, I think... 
I don't know if maybe there was something wrong. Maybe Emily Gilnick wasn't fit enough. But like, for example, starting Emily Gilnick on the bench and having Lehman as your number nine, while she's like a great outball, really telegraphs your intentions in this game. And I think that's fine. But you have to then build that attacking bit on top. Um, but I think it is really exciting for Villa. You know, like we saw Rachel Corsi even coming on at the end, like the quality that they now have in their squad. It does really feel like there is a really exciting base there for, from which to build. I think for Chelsea, it's so it's so tricky to kind of try and figure out. Um, off this game alone and the kind of week, two weeks that the club has had, I think the biggest takeaway will be for them, like, you've still got this and everyone's still, like, all your fans still want this for you and there's yeah, still lots of quality in the team. And to keep going to the end and to make it happen. And I think also, like, I know it was like a long ball or whatever, but it still felt like quite a high quality goal. Like it wasn't like a bundle in the box, like kind of corner type situation. I think Chelsea's biggest takeaway should be that, you know, that quality is there. There's lots of different ways for you to play attacking football and, you know, the goals will come because the chances are still coming. And I just hope that they can, you know, kind of turn off those off-field distractions to to push on in, in the games coming up. And Abdullah, what do you think was Chelsea's kind of biggest takeaway? Yeah, I think I think it was it was just that it was it was their their ability to to even though they were under pressure in a different way of, of having to try and win the game in such a tense pressure moment because if they had dropped points here, it's it's momentum and and you know for Arsenal um, going into the title rest of the, rest of the season and the fact that they were able to change it up and Emma Hayes was able to put Millie right up front while she took it out of Serena Weidman's playbook. Get Millie right up front. Musovic took a chance and just, you know, played it long. Sam Kerr with the composure. I felt like they were still able to get that moment of quality out, even at the death. Um, and for me, I think that's that's a big takeaway for them that it's they still they even regardless of Frank Kirby and 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 Pranila Hada being out, they have enough quality in the rest of the squad um, to be able to produce even that one moment of magic. And I think for them, almost this season, it's just they've got to remember. We just need to produce one or two moments a game and we have the quality to make that happen and finish it. So um, I think for them, it's, yeah, they can, they can still pull it out, even if it gets down to the last you know few seconds or a few minutes. It is interesting to see how Chelsea kind of struggle in these matches, but are still capable of pulling them out. Like, it's just, it's a completely opposite kind of, not opposite. It's just like, it just, it doesn't make sense when you look at it on paper. You know, a, a Chelsea shouldn't be, you know, scoring a 92nd minute winner against an Aston Villa, who's mostly defensive. You know, it should be kind of you would expect Chelsea to find a way through a lot earlier and not through, you know, it, I mean, it is, you know, what you said, it was a high quality goal. But at the end of the day, it was a long bar from the keeper and just hoping for the best rather than actually building up play throughout the match. Um, but it is it's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea kind of progress on and on it and seeing how. I mean, if I'm honest, I, I can only see them kind of getting better from this and not really digressing, although it is possible. But I was just going to say, I do wonder if Chelsea are a bit jaded. Like, I just wonder if you look back across the season and you think, like, they signed three players across the season, two, two over the summer, one in January. And I know we're going to come on to Arsenal, but you look at how much those signings have, like, impacted the team, not just, like, on the pitch, but also just in energy. And I'm not saying like Chelsea obviously have loads of quality and I'm not saying you just have to like constantly buy players, but like 
Chelsea signed like three 22, like 20 to 22 year olds. Like it's a very different energy. And I wonder if that's impacting. Like Chelsea feel like they need that refreshment of energy rather than like quality on the pitch. I do agree, I do agree with that because we, we will talk about Arsenal, but it does seem like Arsenal are kind of back to the, the personality that they had when they were doing well. And obviously that reflects on the pitch, whereas Chelsea are kind of, I mean, not not boring because it's not boring football. It's just like they've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. Just, you know, just being good at football and kind of having that expectation on them for so long with the same exact players. And you're kind of just like, OK, is is this it or is, you know, is this we talked about it the last episode? Is this the end of a cycle? Um, and I think without that refreshment, it might just continue on to be like that. And moving on to Arsenal, um, Vivian Mirama is just having fun on the pitch and it's honestly so good to see. Um, but it was her other half, uh, Stina Blackstenius, who scored a brace yesterday with Jesse's favorite player, Beth Mead, adding to the tally with a che- cheeky, very cheeky nutmeg assist from Vivian Mirama. Um, and I do have to mention Leah Valti. Um, she's back, you know, she's back in the starting lineup and I think she's been looking really, really good. Uh, I think we mentioned it last episode as well, but yesterday I think highlighted how good she is and I don't know if that's because Brighton, I think, gave her a lot of space. So she was able to ha- kind of have the ball and keep the ball up more than usual. Um, and the Sky Sports commentators actually said snake hips in their commentary. <laughs> and I died. I properly, they're like, oh, they call her snake, like snake hips. They were like, I think it was, it was Jackie. Didn't they also say at one point they call her Willie? Yeah, well, yeah, Wally. That was weird too. Really? No, it was honestly the commentators. Okay, so I was I was watching. So this is like a thing now, and honestly, I love it. I was watching PSG uh, Real Madrid Men Champions League on the CBS stream, and when Kylian Mbappe like sat down, Courtois, the commentator was like, "Mbappe, stop it! He has a family." And I was like. <laughs> what <laughs> this is like all this stuff is getting into thing and um and in the sky sports commentary they mentioned snake hips um which obviously you get that off like social media like you don't if you do research for leo Valti, you're not going to find that on like google or something and then they were talking about barcelona and obviously the barcelona vivian medium connection um they kept talking about it and i think it was sue smith in the background it's like vivian medium stay like, if you're watching this back later please stay <laughs> and they were just going off of that and honestly i died i loved it um meme culture going into commentary that was that was it a thing so there, there's hope for you know us little stupid people to, to go to be big on, on on national tv now one day um one day <laughs> we could say silly things on television yeah. too oh we could say everything <laughs> If we could say half the shit that we say on this podcast on national, <laughs> can you imagine? Hey, it would be entertaining for everyone. People would be like, forget the Honestly, football, let's just listen to them talk. I think it's more relatable than, you know, a book kind of getting on the blondes confused on the pitch, for example. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, I just, I had to shut that up because honestly, I, I loved it so much. The fact that it was, yeah, snake hips and all that stuff getting shouted out on, on Sky Sports commentary. But yeah, any back back to the actual football um, and not Leo Valti's snake hips. And though actually it is it is quite funny because it did work so much on Brighton players yesterday. Her little like fake overstep and go the other way kind of hip movement. Um, Brighton players were falling for it left and right. Um, so that was really funny to see. Um, but Jesse, is it annoying to see Arsenal enjoying the football again so much? 
or is it okay knowing that potentially they'll go back into another downfall in the next few weeks with their schedule no it's not annoying um I think last night was well in some ways it was good because um Arsenal were able to wrap the match up so quickly I could switch over and watch the best in show of crafts on plus one and basically watch watch the Arsenal match um but it was annoying in terms of like I actually thought this was going to be a fun game and it just wasn't at all and I think what's frustrating from Brighton perspective is Arsenal didn't really have to play that well like obviously like the Viv nutmeg assist is like fire like I, I was obsessed with that um <laughs> Jackie Odie and Sue Smith actually did her down on the commentary on that one as well because they said she put it th- between the players and I was like oh no that went right through her legs um but yeah you could see even from like dead ball situations like Brighton just looked so so bad um like totally disorganized and it was a shame because they started off like the first 10-15 minutes like quite well Dan Carter had some like random shot from like basically the halfway line I was like oh no this isn't the way this is supposed to go um but you know You'd think Bryson would take energy from like, you know, Birmingham scoring twice against Arsenal, that there was like stuff to be had there. But yeah, it just, it just, they just looked totally out of sorts, um, to be honest. So it's, it made it quite hard, I think, to judge how good Arsenal looked. Um, definitely, I think the the speed at which they're moving the ball around again is something that I would like to see Chelsea do more of if we're harking back to Chelsea and is is obviously what it felt like kind of Arsenal were missing in that patch of games where they were just like totally rubbish. So I think that's a really exciting thing to see. And I think part of that comes from, you know, again, if we're talking about Chelsea being jaded, Chelsea have got lots of players out at the moment um, or lots of players coming back to full fitness and Arsenal kind of were going through that period themselves. But now they've got a lot more options. And I think you can see, you know, players kind of, coming in, feeling fresher, feeling a bit like hungrier for, for the game. Um, and I think that that definitely helps, especially when you're playing against a team who's going to try and sit back. Like if you've got players who, who are willing to make those runs. But yeah, I like I thought Arsenal were good, but, but Brighton, you know, it was kind of like Arsenal did blow the door down, but like the door that Brighton put up was made of paper. Yeah, it was, I think the biggest, the one downfall that I saw from Arsenal playing yesterday was the fact that Noel Maric didn't seem on the same wavelength as everyone else. Um, She has been playing like for quite a bit of time, but even like everyone else on the pitch, um, you know, Lata hasn't played for a while, but she still looked quite in sync with, with Leah knowing that you saw Dan Carter kind of closing down Leah. So Lata was actually kind of distributing the ball from the back quite a bit, but for some reason, Noel Maric just, I don't know if it was just individually not in it or just, she wasn't on the same wavelength as everyone else. So that was kind of not a worry, but it was kind of a bit ashamed to see because Arsenal did play quite well and it was Noel Maric, the only one that was kind of out of it. But Abdullah, obviously we need to talk about it. I think it's going to be one of those things that like, like Kirby, when will it Kirby, when they were playing good, we were talking about it every week. Um, but obviously Viv as a 10 just keeps thriving and thriving. And, Tactically, what do you think it is about Mirma playing as a 10 that helps Arsenal so much? I'm happy to talk about Mirma in a, in a 10 position every week because I love seeing these tactical changes and, and nuances regardless of what team it's from. But um, no, I think it's uh, I think it's really, really good. Um, I think Mirma playing as a 10, I think is really 
it's really unlocked uh, Arsenal into another gear. I think, one, it's been a really smart way of being able to kind of promise and give Blackstenius time as a, as a number nine um, and, and give her time to get used to the system and, 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 and bet in. Um, but at the same time, I think, um, I think Miedema is such a creative, um, such a creative player that her vision as a number nine dropping deep, we were able to see it. But I feel like now as a 10, we get to see it even more because it almost feels like while teams have to try and 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 mark her out because she's so mobile and she's able to drop even deeper than she used to as a, as a striker and kind of she has more freedom to do that. Some defensive midfielders will just leave her when she gets to a point, you know, uh, when she gets to a point and dropped in. Um, and then that leaves them to have to deal with Black Senius's movement, Beth Mead, and whoever's playing on the left-hand side. Um, and this way, I think you were able to see Miedema drop into spaces and kind of pick out passes that, you know, that that usually like, like a Kirby or someone who's really creative and has, has a keen eye for a pass is able to do. I think there was one moment in the Brighton game where she was able to drop deep into space. Nobody was around her. She just turned and then kind of played it out to uh, Noel Maritz on the right-hand side. And I, I found that to be an amazing pass because it was the, that turn of play was so quick that um, Brighton didn't even have a, a second to react and, and, and Arsenal were able to, to make something out of it. Um, so I think, I think from a tactical perspective, Miedema playing as a 10, it, it just gives them a lot more creativity and it kind of puts pressure off Miedema because then her job in this position is, all right, you, can, you still need to score, but it's more about creating now and being able to create. She's got more freedom to move around, more freedom to kind of find pockets of space. And I think she's really enjoying that sort of role more than probably where she was as number 10, where she almost felt obligated to drop deep to collect the ball when there was no real um, link, maybe because Kim Little would drive forward. And then when Jordan Oates played, it was kind of the, the, the same thing. So, yeah, I think here she's kind of able to do what she wants to do in almost like a free role without being constricted to being, I need to be in the box because I'm the number nine of this, of this team. It is undeniable that she looks a lot happier now that she's playing in that number 10 role um, than she was. I mean, obviously, you know, Viv Miedema, when she's enjoying her football, she's enjoying her football, but it is, you know, a whole, I think it's just all about freedom, um, quite literally on the pitch where she's able to roll more, but just more freedom of expression almost in terms of her football. Uh, but Jesse, looking at Brighton, they've been pretty inconsistent this season. 17 matches played, seven wins, one draw and nine losses. What do you think needs to improve for them to start keeping up with the top five again? I think they just need to tighten up at the back, honestly. Like, I think, especially from, from dead ball situations, it was really stark. I just thought about, like, you can't let teams find that much chaos in your penalty area and be forcing your goalkeeper to have, be having to make kind of double saves within 15 minutes of the game, you know, against any team. That's, like, what I am kind of meant earlier. Like, I thought Arsenal were good, but without really needing to be because even though their goals were kind of coming from open play, you just knew that there was no way, given the way Brighton were defending from set pieces, that if Arsenal needed to score from a set piece, that it wouldn't wouldn't happen at some point. Um, and I do think that they've also got this problem where they have this tendency to just collapse when it starts going wrong. You know, we've seen it against uh, City this season where they conceded like five goals in about 10 minutes, um, obviously against Arsenal three goals in what about 20 minutes second the second half of the first half so I think that's got to be the the priority for, for the team because I think if you're you know if you're hard to break down they do have a lot going forward for them you know they've got 
lots more talented players, I think, than, than some of the other teams around them in an attacking sense. But they don't put themselves in positions where they can make the most of them or where they can like go for it in the last 15 minutes of a game because they kind of end up backing themselves into this corner where they either concede these big flurries of goals or they're just like basically pen- totally penned in. You know, even even when they drew 0-0 with Chelsea, it's like that game, like Chelsea, Chelsea should have just won. Like if it wasn't for the post and Megan Walsh, like Chelsea would have won. Um, and again, you just don't do yourself any favours when you can't kind of get your foot on the ball um, and kind of release some of that pressure on you. Yeah, that is... I think I agree with that. I think defensively, especially for them, because they do have, you know, Dan Carter is an amazing striker, regardless of what it is in that shot that she took from like halfway down. I just, I had no, like, it wasn't even like Zinsberg was like off her line that much. Like, I have no idea what came into her mind. She didn't even get it on target. That's the thing though. It was, I thought it was a good attacking position. It was like kind of a, like a counterattack. She was, yes, she was alone. And like, just, just, go for it but don't shoot from like so far and like have a shitty shot on top of that my pet peeve oh god that was that was, i saw that and i was like i think the sky sports commentator was like well that says something about her confidence or like something along those lines i also laughed but yeah that was that was bad but you have the, yeah i agree with the attacking kind of talent that brighton have that should probably be used more um but i am curious because obviously now i think for these teams that are mid-table it's they have to start looking for next season, knowing that the season is kind of done and dusted for them. Um, so I am interested to see what happens next in Hope Powell, we trust, question mark. Um, but Abdullah, do you think that Arsenal can keep up this current momentum until the end of the season? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think for them almost, there's no pressure on them. They just need to keep winning games and they just need to keep doing their three because they know that um, Chelsea are the ones in some sense chasing them. So I I, I, I I don't remember who was saying it. One of the Arsenal players was saying that the pressure is not on us. It's 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 on it's on Chelsea to keep keep the momentum going. And I think that in itself just puts a lot of pressure off Arsenal. And Arsenal have anyway been known to be flat track bullies, so they're able to beat um, most of the teams you know below them. It's it's only those top games where they need to really focus and go. So I I, I actually in some ways think I I am expecting Arsenal not to drop too many points between now and the end of the season. I think they'll they'll continue the momentum. And after that, it's just up to Chelsea to see what they can do in response. Let's hope that's true then. Um, and looking at just below Chelsea and Arsenal, in third place, Manchester United. A good win for Manchester United over Reading. Um, a brilliant assist from Alessio Russo to put Leo Galton in a 1v1 against Grace Maloney. Um, I gasped when I saw that. Um, but again, I do have to mention on about its uh, wrongfully disallowed goal. But then at least Alessia Russo did capitalize after the ball bounced back from inside the goal. Um, but Jesse, this was this is usually a type of rival that Man United would potentially flop against, um, to say to say it very straightforward. What was United's biggest strength in this match? Their biggest strength was how high Reading wanted to play their defensive line <laughs> because they were literally sick on the halfway line. And I was like, this is so stupid. Um, and kind of time and again, you had Ella Toon in the number 10 role. Alessia Russo was was dropping dropping deep as well. And it was just so easy for them to, to thread balls through to the runs of Galton and, and Martha Thomas. They were great part. Like I thought, Rousseau and Toon looked really, really good at this game. It was making me hype for the Euros. I love to see it. 
Uh, also, Alessio Russo has the most hilarious um, goals minus expected goals uh, this season. She's on she's on Frank Kirby's height, um, which which I'm enjoying. And her finish was amazing. But yeah, I mean, United should have had a lot more, to be honest. Um, there was a point where I can't remember. I think it was Martha Thomas was was through on goal and she had to shoot because Leah Galton was was in an offside position and, and things like that. Um, United should have been home and dry. Uh, I don't know what Reading was thinking at all there was just like so much space and you know Leah Goldson as well like it feels like she's really coming into like a good vein of form and it just feels like in an attacking sense lots of things are clicking clicking for United uh I think it's interesting to see kind of you know the that Martha Thomas seems to have like finally got her got her spot in this team uh I don't know whether it's because Leah Williamson hyped her up on that Righty's House episode and said she was really hard to play against uh but it's kind of funny to see when when Senior Bruins there, but um, yeah, I think it feels like in an attacking sense, United have got loads of options. They're all looking really good. Uh, they're all playing really well. It's exciting for United because lots of them are obviously very young, but <laughs> defensively, United are still a mess. So this is why this match was just so. This was like full on chaos match. Uh, for a start, it was at eleven thirty, which I just think adds to like the chaos of it because no football should start that early. Um, I had already gone and run a 5k PB at morning. So I was feeling smug and hyper and I literally couldn't stop uh, laughing at how like stupid this game was. So if you haven't watched it, I recommend because it really cracked me up. What was your PB? 21-28, baby. I'm shaking my head because Jesse runs for fun. So that's that's my opinion on that. Um, but I do, before we continue talking about Man United, I do have to mention Deanne Rose. Uh, her finish was quite nice. It was it, it was kind of a loose ball in the box, but her first touch to push it forward into space and then a cheeky nutmeg on Mary Earps. It was, I mean, it was a simple finish, just inside of the foot pass through Mary Earps' legs into the back of the net um, to make that 1-1, but then obviously couldn't really, Reading couldn't really keep up with that again. But Abdullah, you know, a big player. How important is Alessia Russo for Manchester United? Oh, supremely so. I think she's really come a long way since the start of the season and kind of coming in as just like this young player, you know, coming in, you know, maybe playing a few minutes here and there. And to me, she kind of runs part of the way United are are, are excelling in, in the forward areas. I mean, I, I'll, I think I'll go ahead and say it right now. I think United have been one of my favorite teams to watch so far this season. Their progression over the last few months to me has been absolutely fantastic and I think Ella Toon is slowly becoming one of my favorite players to watch in in the league and and along with the lesser so I think that combination play is one of the best partnerships I've seen so far this season um but just her ability to hold up the ball turn her creativity that pass for Leah Galton in in the first half was absolutely exquisite like I was I was my my mouth was on the floor um no I think she's important I think the way they're able to 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 kind of keep the ball in in the channel areas and she almost reminds me of a of a wide target man type player where she, she's, she's so powerful, but she plays in this wider right role, but then she's got this, she's deceptively fast, um, which I don't think many, many players are ready to expect. Um, and, and, and most of the, most of the play goes through her because they know that they can take this. She's a good outlet. She can hold the ball up. And then she allows the likes of Leah Galton, Ella Tu and everyone to run off her. And I think that, makes it a lot better for the a lot better for United because then there's a lot of runners going in behind and kind of that switch something a switch to that system I think has really helped because we've seen when when uh, Vildebo Reese has come into midfield and those late runs and the resulting in goals and chances 
are all coming because they know that they've got somebody there in midfield, in a midfield position to be able to turn and give them those those walls because a lot of players like it's a feat. But I think what I like about United is they've got enough players who want to run in behind. And I think Russo being one of those players that holds it up and and, and plays plays it in for United, I think is a, is, is a massive bonus and a massive plus. I agree. I think Alessio Russo has been so big since coming to the WSL in general. I think what she brings to any team, just to her, her style of football is very different from a typical English style of football. And I, I'm assuming that's just because of the influence that she got picked up over um, playing university in the States. But it, I think it's a perfect combination of tactical, you know, and technical skills and just regular high football intelligence mixed in with a very powerful and physical player who's going to win all the duels, you know, push themselves out of pressure and just kind of just get everything done. So I think her overall football kind of characteristics that she has, I think is quite unique uh, when you look at the WSL in general. But Jesse, Reading are safe in the WSL, obviously, currently mid-table. But what aspects of their game do you think they need to start building on for next season? I think for Reading, I think they've had some really good moments this season and I think they're a really well-constructed team. I think, you know, they obviously started the season awfully and there was kind of these worries that they'd basically lost, you know, Fishlock and Farrah Williams from their midfield and how is it going to work replacing them? And the players that have come in, you know, have, have for the most part looked really good. I think... For them, they need to try and hold on to Deanne Rose. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know what kind of deal she signed, but um, it would be great, I think, if they could have her for another season um, and just have the opportunity for those kind of players to bed in. They've got lots of like very young players, obviously. I think you can see that Emma Harris has improved a lot this season compared to last season, but she's still not, I think, at that level of reliability that you really want from from a starting striker but I think she is getting there which I think is exciting to see um you know equally Lily Woodham I think has really like kicked on this season so I think for Reading it's more than the same because real realistically like they punch so far above their weight like it's crazy and I think they recruited so well this summer to be in the kind of position they are like you know I, I don't think they were ever in that Champions League com- conversation, but in reality, but you know, there was a point where they, they've been sitting like alongside on points with, with people like City, you know, they are above like Everton. And I think for, for a side whose men's team playing the championship to be doing that, you know, we've seen what's happened to the Birmingham's, the Bristol cities over the, over the past couple of seasons. I think it, it's really impressive. So I think for, for Reading, it is really just a case of more of the same. Especially after they lost Ferry Williams in the midfield, it was always going to be interesting to see how Reading kind of rebuilt themselves. Because I think it was kind of a, a starting from zero, starting from scratch without a player like Ferry Williams to be in that midfield and conduct pretty much the entire team. But looking back at Manchester United, Abdullah, West Ham up next for them. How do you see this going? In the current vein of form that United are in, I think uh, I think United can. Um... I think United can continue going through. It's another game where I think I think you said at the top of the show and you asked it that this is a sort of opponent that that United would, would possibly lose to. But I think that the way they've been playing the last couple of weeks and especially this game uh, kind of kind of proves a little bit that they can beat the teams around them. And I think consistently being able to do that is is going to be key for them this season. Um, I think they have just enough, I think they have more than enough rather. Um, to beat West Ham next up and 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 kind of keep that momentum going because I think a lot of their attacking players in particular are in the form of their lives um, and 
you know, also it's just about whether they can they can keep it out, you know, the other side because I think defensively they still have a little bit of work to do, and 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 you know that that is something that they have to work on. But I think they can, I can think they can still they can they can take away three points from this game. But looking at teams around Manchester United, Spurs nil, Man City one. Ryan Skinner, you disappointed us. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Um, but with the win for Manchester United, Tottenham dropped three points, any points at that point. Um, and now Manchester United are in that third place spot quite comfortably because before before this weekend, they were tied on points. And Manchester City are just two points below Spurs right now. So Manchester United in third place, Spurs in fourth, three points below. And then you have Man City in fifth, just two points below um, Spurs. And the one goal that happened it took Lucy Rons to carry the ball literally the entire pitch um like literally other robot just rolled it to her probably the top of their own box and then Lucy Bronze literally ran box to box uh WSL um Lucy Rons literally like she ran box to box and laid it off to Haley Razo in the box who then crossed the ball to the back post and it like it was just a messy, just overall defensive mistake. I think it was a, you know what? I feel bad because it happened to me. My first time I played at fullback, I had the same exact shitty clearance that resulted in the goal. So I can't really criticize that much. Um, but it was it was yeah. Just I, I don't know if it was an awkward bounce, but this first player just she couldn't really clear the ball at all, and the ball fell to Caroline Weir, who just kind of probably toe poked it to the back of the net. I mean, I you can't really see what happened, but it was just. Point is, it was a messy finish, um, but it was a finish and Spurs, uh, not Spurs, clearly. And Man City took all three points. But Jesse, no Rosalayane handball, um, sadly. But was this result surprising for you? I think it was surprising for me in the sense that I thought City would walk this, which I think is interesting for two reasons. I kind of felt like that Spurs were maybe kind of a bit mentally out of this race, given the difficulty of the fixtures they still have to come. And I think it showed that they do kind of still feel like they could be in it. And I think that'll be interesting for Arsenal and Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea have to play them twice. I think it also showed that for all this, like, oh, Man City are really good now. No, they're not. They're still not good. Like, this was like a really, like, quite poor display. If... Lucy Bronze hadn't just like had the red carpet rolled out for her by the Spurs team. I mean, please, someone just foul her. Like, just do not let Lucy Bronze like walk all the way down the pitch. She wasn't even going that fast. Like, um, you could just, it just felt like Spurs were very tired at that point, um, which I guess, you know, they had been defending a long time, but City did not create a lot in this game at all. Like, this was quite a dull match to be honest which I probably could have told you beforehand but I did feel like recently City had looked a bit more dynamic going forward but this was like way back to classic old City you know if Rosella Ryan had been able to get her hand to a ball she would 100% have equalized and City wouldn't have been wouldn't have done anything about it um I think Spurs they just just feels like it feels like there's like the defensive grit still there but there's no like well, there hasn't been much attacking oomph all season, but the attacking oomph is getting turned down even further and further and further. So I feel like maybe they're just playing for nil-nil draws at this point. But 
Um, on the evidence of this match, they could play for a nil-nil draw, but again, also City aren't exactly um, scintillating going forward, so maybe it's not that hard to to try and do this. But yeah, this is not one that will live long in the memory, I don't think. What surprised me the most about this Lucy Bronze run was that there was she just ran into space. It wasn't like she had to go on a 1v1 against a player. Like She didn't leave anyone in her dust. She literally just ran into She space. had a force field around her. Yeah, it was like she was in one of those big see-through, see-through <laughs> balls. You know where people, what is it called? Like zorbing. She looked like Zorb- she was in a zorb ball. <laughs> it, I mean, it is, it is true. Like there was, she just ran into space. It wasn't like there was no obstruction. She just ran and ran and ran until there was one obstruction, and then she released the ball, and that was it. I mean. Like, but it took her to get to the other penalty box for her to be forced to release the ball. Um, props for Haley Razor, though. She busted her ass trying to keep up with Lucy Bronze on the wing, though. She's looked really good recently, Haley Razor. Yeah, she I've has. I've been really impressed. She definitely has. Um, but Abdullah, looking ahead to the end of the season, Man City have a relatively smooth ride until the end of the season. You know, they have to play Reading, Everton, Birmingham, Leicester, West Ham, Brighton, and Reading again. So, you know, they've got Arsenal. Um, Chelsea, Manchester United out of the way. Can they win from now until the end of the season? You know, you look at the fixtures and you look who has to play against, and you'd have to say that they realistically could actually pick up maximum points from all these games. Because you look at Everton have been kind of woeful this season. I know they just won 3-2 against Leicester City, but and we'll get on to that. But they just but you know, the goals are gifted to some to some degree. So, that, that, you know, they should be able to win that. Birmingham City, West Ham, Leicester, Bright. It's, you know what? They could steal a march and come in third. I mean, because the pressure's on everybody else, they are very, very winnable fixtures. And Man City are kind of coming into form at the right time. They're picking up results. They're, they're winning games. And I think the, the, the win against Chelsea in the, WS, in the FA Cup final, uh, sorry, the, the Conte Cup final, um, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, 10 days ago, I think, that would have been massive for the rest of their season. And that the confidence that they gained from that 3-1 win is just, you know, I think they can take that into the rest of the season. And they don't have to worry too much about rotation because I think they've got a pretty big enough squad, at least going forward, um, that they can rotate and, and 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 keep things fresh. So I mean it'll be it'll be a strange one if we see Gareth Taylor at the end of the season coming in third and when we all thought they were going to languish in mid-table. But yeah, um, actually out of all the teams it really looks like they can pick up four points. If Man City get that third place spot, it will be very unfortunate for the majority of the women's football community. Um, but Jesse, Tottenham conceded an unfortunate goal, and you talked about it there about um, kind of they're mentally they're mentally exhausted, you know, physically on top of that. But is their biggest problem about consistency? Do you think that they're actually going to fix it for come next season? I think they just feel really tired right now. And I think if they're going to fix stuff, it will need to be to kind of back up some of these positions a bit more to be able to rotate their team, uh, bring in different players. At the moment, it feels like there's a very kind of set first 11 and and that's kind of it. And then any of those players drop out, you're then you've, you've then kind of got other people filling in and it can just feel, I think, quite threadbare. I just thought it was like really noticeable when you looked at kind of City's options on the bench and Tottenham's options, like how how different like that gap was. And 
you know, I think for them to have kept up with United and City for so long this season has been, you know, is really testament to to Skinner's coaching and like their cohesiveness as a unit. But I think really if they are going to push on next year, it's going to be a lot more about investment than it is actually like what what they can do on the pitch because I just feel like they don't have the necessary players, you know, like Kit Graham's obviously been out for a really long time now. We were talking about when when her injury happened, how much that might affect them, you know, because she's such a creative outlook for them. And realistically, it doesn't really feel like it's affected them that much going forward. But also it's kind of crazy that like a team which is challenging to come third in the WSL, like basically kind of has one creative player and that if they're injured, that's like it. They're kind of relying on, on, on lots of different, on like... <laughs> like random things to happen for them to, to score in games. Um, and there have been points where, you know, they've, they've looked like getting more goals, but mainly against weaker teams. And so I think it's just, yeah, I think they just need to boost that squad really for for the length of, of the season. You know, it's, it's a short season compared to almost every other football league in the world. But I think when you're going up against teams who who do genuinely have kind of, like for like substitutions for each each position you know Spurs feel nowhere near that that level yet yeah it's true even looking at Manchester United you know you have a player like Senior Brun coming off the bench some matches um but Abdullah Spurs play Chelsea next which and then Arsenal and then basically shit show for the rest of the month um and I know we asked last episode but seeing the results after this weekend you know Chelsea should have won a lot more against Asamilla, but did it into the 92nd minute. Now Spurs kind of not really performing that well against Man City. Has your opinion changed on in terms of Spurs and Chelsea? No, I, I still think Chelsea should should uh, put Spurs away and, and win the game. I think uh, touching on, on Jesse's point about the, you know mental fatigue and, and physical fatigue, I think you know Spurs, I think their you know, momentum's lost a little bit. I know that they 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 only they restricted City, if I can call it that, um, to a goal in this game. But I think Chelsea have a lot more motivation and a lot more riding for them in terms of the season. Those Spurs are trying to fight for a top three, top four position. Um, it's just you know for Chelsea, it's just about the title, and I think they've got the mentality and the and the willingness to kind of go for it. And I think at this point, we're going to start seeing Spurs kind of fall away a little bit. Um, I still expect it to be a close game. I just I just think that Chelsea will edge it out. And, and, and you know, then that's, you know, if, if it's Arsenal next, then uh, good luck to Spurs. Good luck to Spurs then. Good luck, Rianne Skinner. That's that's what we have to say about that. Waiting for that interview with, with Rianne Skinner at the end of the season. <laughs> You know, we've given her the benefit of doubt plenty of times. Um, and we've given, given her a lot of criticism, of course. But I think it's been, you know, a healthy relationship overall. Yeah. She's had an amazing season. She proved us she wrong. Has. We were yeah, the doubters. She, she proved us wrong. And good for her. And so really, we're contributing to a more competitive and exciting WSL landscape. Precisely. She has to prove us wrong. That's amazing. We are the gold standard. We are the gold standard. <laughs> You need to say, as we say, if not, then you're not going to get more in the WSL, obviously. Um, and lastly, speaking of a club who has had really great managers in Jean-Luc Vasseur, um, Everton obviously got a marginal win over Leicester City, 3-2 for Everton. Four goals in the first half, just the one in the second. Um, a very, I mean, I didn't get to watch this game because it was during my match, but 
following the updates on my phone was certainly intriguing to say the least um but jesse well first of all everton both everton and leicester city have chelsea as their next point opponents so that's definitely going to be interesting um i think any match from here on out that involve chelsea and arsenal is going to be interesting regardless but jesse everton has certainly not lived up to their standard um and we will be saying that probably until the end of the season um on to next season because this season they've done fuck all really um but obviously you have great players have really top names underrated names on their on their squad how much do you think this has come down to not having a regular manager this game was so bad this might be have been like one of the worst games i watched this season like it was it was genuinely everyone involved was awful um it's sod's law that because chelsea have to play everton leicester next they'll suddenly not have these like absolutely calamitous defenses and their defenses will actually be suddenly amazing but in this game their defenses were like i don't know what they were doing but um for everton oh my god sandy mckiver i love her i love her so much all i want to see is her come good but this was bad it's really bad she's just it's just gone like she looks so like unconfident like both Leicester goals she that that shouldn't they shouldn't have been happening and then Ashley Plumpter was just she was awful as well can I just say Jesse has Jesse has their hands to their head like just looking down and just like disbelief it was so bad I was just like I don't know I I think this is truly feels like well I'm okay I'm gonna say two things I think this is in some ways it felt like two teams with very little to play for but I will say Everton are now only three points behind West Ham. And, you know, we've talked about like West Ham having a really good season, which I think they have because their squad is not as stacked as Everton's squad is. But like Everton could still end up in like not a bad position if they actually win some games from here to the end. But this was not even particularly good performance at all because basically it was just like, Ashley Plumtree would get the ball and then she'd just kind of stand there with it. And then Anna Ambergard would like run up to her and be like, oh, I'll take that ball. And then Everton would just like score. And that was like the whole game. And I was like, come on, like once is fine. But to do that twice is like, girl, wake up, wake up. Oh, so this game was annoying. Um, how much has this come down to not having a regular man? Everton are chaos team, man. Like they were playing without their sponsors thing because they've got sanctioned i don't understand how they've managed to take their sponsor off but chelsea haven't um don't really know what's going on there the shirts look nice though the shirts were maybe the best thing about everton this season it's classy without the sponsor um but yeah i don't know i feel like they've written off the season but i think they shouldn't because i think they can make something of it but i feel like they have um abdullah looking at the other side of it also playing chelsea next leicester play Chelsea uh, in the WSL and obviously last time it was just a 1-0 win again Chelsea probably should have won for a lot more but Leicester kind of just keeping up the organization and defense and kind of just holding their breath and hoping for the best maybe um what do you think is going to happen this time around yeah I just want to say one thing I really feel bad for Ashley Plumter because I spoke to her recently and I, and I did a whole chat I had a nice chat with her she's such a nice girl you know like I, I felt like I had this bond going and then when she had that game yesterday I was like come on Ash I don't want to have to say anything about you in this in this podcast today come on don't do this to me but um no I, I think I think it was 
I just want to say on the game, it's just it was just random. It was so bad. Oh, just the call, like the goals were just everyone gifted each other goals. Like I'll give you one, you give me one back. Um, but I think that's the just kind of the way they've been playing the last few weeks. I think putting this game aside, they've generally been really, really good both going forward and defensively. They've they've kind of kept it together. They've been winning games. January for them was was absolutely fantastic. Um, and kind of what Jesse said, it's, it's just going to end up being this 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 brute force against Chelsea. They're just they're just going to be a stone, you know, a wall that it's going to be so hard for, for Chelsea to get through. Um, I still think Chelsea will win it. You know, I know we're saying this after everything we said about Chelsea. I think Chelsea will still win it. Um, if, but I think that if an early goal goes in and Chelsea get an early goal, I think the floodgates might open and Chelsea score two, three, four goals. You know, but I think if it again goes to 60, 70 minutes and Chelsea manage to only get a goal then, or it really goes down to the wire, then yeah, it'll be um there'll only be one goal in it. But yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. And um I, you know, I I kind of I've I've really enjoyed Leicester the last few weeks, but uh yeah, it's it's I just in some ways, I hope this isn't the end of their their good momentum because actually they've been fun to play. They've got some fun players in, in their squad. So despite all the negative criticism, you keep doing you every ten in Leicester. <laughs> Pretty much. You keep doing you, Leicester. Just do what feels right and just hope for the best. Um, sounds like my team. Um, yeah, so we'll end on that. <laughs> we'll end on that. Um, quite a lot of good football coming up for the rest of the month obviously champions league and we will be doing an episode we will be recording tomorrow tuesday um for kind of the preview for the quarterfinals and then maybe i don't know if to tease it or not but you know what i'll tease it maybe maybe tomorrow we'll see we'll see we'll see um there might be something else coming up but it's not confirmed so we don't really say anything unless you want just like a five minute clip of our voices to be an extra episode um i don't know we'll see anyway uh, we'll see you soon. Obviously, W cells is a lot to come, but again, Champions League could be taking a constant kind of a, a central focus of the podcast for the next couple of weeks. Um, but we'll see. We'll see a lot coming up. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you later this week. Cheers, guys. See you later. And he fucking blows the final whistle. I got a red card, 30 seconds left on the match, and he gave me a fucking red card. I get one match ban, yeah.